Our final week on Black History Month takes a look at two very powerful conservatives whose influence is still being felt today on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. America First Insurance Group. These guys have become an official sponsor of The Grid, therefore supporting the work that we do here at the Kingdom Patriot Group. Ensuring your life, protecting your liberty. It's so important for our audience to know that there's an insurance group out there that is working in such a way that any profits that they might donate are not going to go to liberal causes. America First Insurance Group. We have contact information in the show notes. So if you want to quote, check out our show notes. Welcome to the News and Review. This week is sponsored by Sandcastles Cottages which is a family-owned property featuring nine Airbnb cottages just one mile from Lake Michigan Beach Access. Nestled in Michigan's Great Southwest, this is the perfect short-term or long-term retreat to rejuvenate and recharge. Your accommodations are family-owned by folks who love God and country. They are the epitome of American small business. Check them out at sandcastlescottages.com or call 269-769-8288. And you can find that contact information in the show notes. Okay, on to this week's news. So I'm reading that prior COVID infection provides just as much protection as vaccines, a new study finds, according to Fox News. Now, I'm not debating the idea that the vaccines may reduce the hospitalization rates. I'm not even going to debate the science here today because that's not my expertise. But what I will debate all along is the lies and half-truths of the CDC. The New York Times reported this last week that the masks did nothing. The N95 masks did nothing, that all of these measures, lockdowns, that they had no appreciable impact on slowing or stopping the spread of COVID-19. And now we see that the infection from the disease provided just as much protection as the vaccine, which I think we all assumed all along anyway. What I do have a problem with is the CDC manipulating data. Here's just an example front and center. Did you know at one point the CDC said that 90% of all infections were in the unvaccinated? Do you know how they arrived at that number? They counted all the infections of every single person prior to the development and deployment of that vaccine. Because, by definition, before the vaccine, 100% of every infection were from the unvaccinated. So why technically true, it was so deceiving to hide the efficacy of the vaccine itself. Then later, Pfizer actually admits that it never even tested its vaccine to see if it would stop transmission. Yet this administration touted that front and center. In short, the politics of this were just plain evil. And speaking of evil, detransitioner Chloe Cole announces that she is suing or filing a lawsuit, I should say, against hospitals for pushing her into medical mutilation. Here's my prediction. In 50 years, we will look back on this time, particularly related to transition surgeries on minors. And the community at large will refer to this woke generation as complete barbarians. In cultural news, even Legos are getting involved. 
they've now entered the world of craziness. The company announced at a private event in New York City that it will relaunch a decades-old Lego Friends product line in an effort to be more inclusive and represent children with more diverse complexities. Want to know what that means? Well, according to the company, new building sets and streamable content alike will introduce an inclusive world of authentic, interesting, and passionate characters. Okay, that seems interesting. But here's the complexities. They will have anxiety, limb difference, Down syndrome, and other forms of visible and non-visible representation to better reflect kids' life experiences through play. It's really important to us that children feel seen. It was really important for us that our characters are flawed. That's what their executive producer said. I'm not even sure what to do with this. Do you have any idea? I also read that the Biden regime is back at it once again and that they've negotiated a legally binding deal to give Chinese-backed World Health Organization full authority over U.S. pandemic policies, all bypassing Senate approval. Well, we're going to fight over this because if Biden has done that, then that also means it's done by executive order regulation, which can be reversed by the next president. This is just another one of those items that needs to be front and center because no one, and I mean no one outside the United States, other than the Lord our God, should have say over the United States sovereignty. Okay, discrimination. Also, you cannot go a week without talking about discrimination. Well, guess what? Seattle becomes the first U.S. city to ban discrimination based on caste. Yep, you heard that correct. So in the U.S. law, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, employment discrimination is banned based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. However, we have seen time and time again, especially the part in the Discrimination Act that refers to sex, gets reframed and redeployed. First, it's sexual orientation, such as gay and lesbian lifestyle, and that's what is protected. Then it became transgender and gender identity. That's the new protection of what sex meant in that particular regulation. But in Seattle, it's now the caste system, which presumably refers to the economic gap between the haves and the have-nots. Well, good luck regulating that. If you're a freedom-loving Christian conservative, can you get out of California, Oregon, or Washington fast enough? Okay, and here, this is maybe the most shocking news of this week's News and Review. We have to go up to North Carolina, to the Raleigh-Durham area, where we find Duke University in North Carolina. This is not exactly ground zero, folks, for the conservative cause, yet in a move that no one saw coming. The University of North Carolina moves to ban diversity, equity, inclusion statements in its anti-woke backlash. Apparently, they have had enough, and that has now been banned from all activities and documents of the university. I'm stunned. Way to go. Finally, some common sense in a single university. Now, from there, we all go all the way to Taiwan. And the reason I'm mentioning this, because it's been in the news quite a bit, China is flexing its muzzle, and China has had quite a Navy buildup. In fact, they have almost more than 100 more warships than we do in the Navy. They have roughly 340 ships in its fleet. The United States has definitely less than 300. And China is trying to, you know, they've staked claim over Taiwan for years, and they continue to want to take over Taiwan. And if I'm China, I'm certainly making my move before the next election, because there is no president that I can remember that has displayed more weakness than President Biden. Okay, back to domestic news, the train derailment in Palestine, Ohio. So the Democratic Party has been accused, rightly so for years, for being disconnected from the average Joe. 
No better example can be seen in the train derailment fiasco in Ohio. Instead of Biden or Pothole Pete showing up immediately to be the face, the figurehead of a caring and measured response, they just hit the national media circuit, talk shows, but really don't show up on the ground at all. In fact, Biden was gallivanting over in Ukraine. Well, guess what? In a brilliant political move, here comes Trump. This is what he's great at. He connects with the average American. He shows up, he goes to McDonald's, and he pays for all the meals for the firefighters and law enforcement, and then he passes out Trump water. What is the biggest response so far from this administration? Well, Pete Buttigieg blames Trump for loosening train safety regulations. What's the truth? The truth is, there were some regulations that Trump addressed, but it turns out it didn't even impact this kind of train. So Pete blames Trump, but Trump shows up and cares for people at ground zero. I wonder which dog will hunt in this situation. And some other crazy domestic news. A California bill was recently being proposed that will eventually end all tobacco sales while marijuana remains completely legal. Do I need to even comment on this story? In the past, the United States annexed territories and they became states, some by treaty, even like Texas. Is there any way to just give California to China? If we did that, I predict that China would be bankrupt in a decade. Just saying. And for our last story for this week, economic news. Well, we look to inflation, and I read several troubling reports. Federal Reserve officials said inflation is still too high and is going to take time to cool. Even as fresh price data came in, it came in hotter than expected, and new research suggested that they may have to raise base interest rates up to 6.5%. Folks, the current Fed funds rate is 4.75%. That means that we're still in for almost another 40% increase in the rates to get where they need to be. Another U.S. government report showed a 5.4% increase in the Fed's preferred gauge of price pressures in the 12 months of January. Last month, it was 5%, so it's actually going up, and it's way above the Fed's target of 2%. Economics had predicted, at least at minimum, an unchanged reading. Couple that with the fact I read a report about Warren Buffett as he was talking about the sustainability of his organization, Berkshire Hathaway. And indirectly, he was talking about this period of inflation and just how stubborn it is. Well, I trust Buffett way more than this administration. There's a reason he's called the Oracle from Omaha. Folks, for this week's News and Review, that's a wrap. Alan West, Alan Keyes, Ben Carson, Star Parker, Candace Owens, and Professor Swain. Great Americans, great conservative Americans, great conservative black Americans. This has all been leading up to this final week. Today, we look at our final two black conservatives, and I am so excited to share them with you. So let's just get this started and put it right out on the table. Let's start with 92-year-old Thomas Sowell, author economist, political commentator, TV and radio guest, even appearing several times on Rush Limbaugh, member of the Hoover Institution. Sowell was born in North Carolina, but he actually grew up in Harlem. Because of his poverty and life challenges, he did not finish high school. In fact, he worked various jobs and eventually ended up in the Marine Corps. There's a common theme. After the Korean War, he took night classes at Howard and then later attended Harvard University and graduated in 1958 magna cum laude. Over the next 10 years, he earned his master's degree at Columbia University and his doctorate in economics from the University of Chicago. He served on the faculties of Cornell University, Amherst College, Brandeis University, the University of California, Los Angeles, 
and currently Stanford University. He has also worked at think tanks such as the Urban Institute. In fact, since 1977, he is the Rose and Milton Friedman Senior Fellow on Public Policy at Stanford's Hoover Institution. Now, Sol has been an important figure to the conservative movement, especially during the Reagan era. He influenced fellow economist Walter Williams and U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. He's offered various positions of influence within the federal government, but he declined each invitation. He's the author of more than 45 books on a whole variety of subjects, including politics, economics, education, and race. He has been a syndicated columnist in more than 150 newspapers. In fact, his views can be best described as, when it comes to social issues, very conservative, economics, libertarian with a conservative bent. In fact, sometimes he even describes himself as a libertarian, but he strongly disagrees with some of the libertarian views, including the view on national defense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another great conservative black American, the kind of story that inspires you from utter poverty, not even graduating high school to serving in the military, going to college, getting his undergrad, getting his graduate degree, and then ultimately his doctorate degree. A complete success story by all worldly measures. He is an intellectual heavyweight among intellectuals. He left the Democrat Party in 1972 and has never returned. Fiercely independent, he avoids labels but acts as a conservative libertarian. Most of his writings actually are on economics, and he's tackled many issues around capitalism and Marxism, things of the like. He's been a staunch opposer of minimum wage and says that regardless of the laws, the real minimum wage is zero. When it comes to race, he's been pretty critical of modern-day liberals and even has argued that systemic racism is an untested, questionable hypothesis, writing, quote, I don't think even the people who use it have any clear idea what they're saying, end quote. In fact, he compared it to propaganda tactics used by Joseph Goebbels because he believes if it's just something that you repeat long enough and loud enough, then people eventually will just cave to it. This is just a tiny example of Thomas Sowell as he addresses an audience while he's explaining his book, Cosmic Justice. He's tackling the issue or the idea of social justice, but how social justice is actually just a smaller part of cosmic justice. The requirements for the two kinds of justice are very different. The requirement for um, treating everyone the same is very simple. It's mass produced. The requirements for cosmic justice must be handmade and tailored to each individual case. It's much more complex and it requires a much larger amount of government power. Some third party must intervene to determine whether the outcomes are right, whether the prospects are right. Words, the very same words, have entirely different meanings within these two frameworks. In fact, as I mentioned in the preface to the book, what really set me off a few years ago to finish it up was a discussion with one of my colleagues at Stanford University, who shall be anonymous in deference to the libel laws, <laughs> uh, who talked about a level playing field. And it became plainly clear that what he called a level playing field is what I would have called a tilted playing field tilted so as to produce the results that he wanted. When we talk about a fair fight, that means very different things in these two, within these two frameworks. Uh, a fair fight by traditional standards means that both boxers observe the Marcus of Queensberry rules, and the fight is fair whether it ends up in a draw or a one-sided beating. From the other point of view, from the cosmic perspective, it's fair only when the two fighters enter the ring with the same prospects of winning. 
Uh, John Rawls has um, sort of summarized and epitomized these two differences. He distinguishes what he calls fair equality of opportunity from merely formal equality of opportunity. Uh, traditional justice or fairness by Rawls's standards means simply that people are, are judged by the same rules. But genuine equality of opportunity, as he calls it, cannot be achieved by this, uh, by this method. He's, instead, he says, undeserved inequalities call for redress. Uh, and obviously, someone must have power in order to do that redress. Every time I hear Thomas Sowell speak, I am mesmerized. So much wisdom, so much to learn from this man. And you may have not caught it earlier, but Thomas Sowell has been very influential on our next great black American conservative. But we'll hear more about that when we return. I'm so glad you asked how you can help for free. Subscribe or follow The Grid and set your phone out for automatic downloads. You'll have immediate access to each new episode, and you'll help us appear at the top of your podcast platform search list. This makes The Grid easier for everyone to find. From all of us at the Kingdom Patriot Group, thank you for joining us in the fight for faith and freedom by subscribing to The Grid. Okay, our final person. I'll just get it out on the table. Folks, I'm so excited to introduce to you United States Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. There is so much to learn about this great man that it would be impossible for me to cram it all into this segment. So I highly, highly recommend reading his book, Created Equal. You can also watch the movie version on Amazon Prime or any other platform. Both are absolutely worth your time. But for now, I'm going to give you some of the highlights about Clarence Thomas. So he was born in 1948 in Pinpoint, Georgia, about as rural and poor as you can be. It's on the outskirts of Savannah, Georgia. It was the quintessential southern black community of poverty. In fact, his family were descendants, actual descendants of slaves. And in fact, their first language was Gola, which is a Creole language common for African Americans in coastal Georgia and South Carolina. And because of this poverty and other very difficult circumstances, his mother ultimately sent he and his brother to live with his grandparents in Savannah, where Thomas experienced regular meals and indoor plumbing for the first time. And I love what his grandfather said when they arrived. He said, boys, the door swings both ways. Now it's swinging in because I'm inviting you in. But if you don't obey the rules, the door swings out and you will be asked to leave. Your damn vacation is over. Well, from extreme poverty to extreme discipline. In fact, his grandfather worked very hard to send them to Catholic school. And he told them, you will go to school. If you are sick, you will go to school. If you die, I will send you to school for another three days just to make sure that you're not faking it. That is quite a contrast to the COVID snowflake lockdowns over the past three years. From an education perspective, he grew up in black Catholic high school before transferring to St. John Vianney's Minor Seminary on the Isle of Hope, where he was just among a handful of black students. He also briefly attended Conception Seminary College, a Roman Catholic seminary in Missouri. He had plans to become a bishop. In fact, no one in Thomas's family had ever attended college. And then Thomas said that he ultimately left the seminary. It's pretty sad when you watch the, the movie, What Happened. It was really in the aftermath of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. He overheard another student saying after the shooting, good, I hope that son of a bitch died. He just didn't think that the church was doing enough to combat racism. So ultimately, he became very disillusioned and left. 
At a nun's suggestion, Thomas enrolled at the College of Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts, as a sophomore transfer student. And while there, he helped found the Black Student Union. In fact, he actually joined a walkout of the school after some black students were punished while white students went undisciplined for the same violation. While being a student, he attended anti-war marches and witnessed the 1970 Harvard Square riots. He actually looks back on that time and credits that his disillusionment with leftist movements was partly what drove him towards conservatism. In fact, in his book, he describes just how angry he was all the time that this leftist ideology just left him angry almost nonstop. In fact, he would describe himself, really, by all measures, he was a militant Marxist at the core. Well, these run-ins and these protests were really the beginning of a transformation for him. And as you read his book, you realize that it was not an event, it was more of a journey. Well, he graduated from Holy Cross, and then he ultimately attended Yale Law School, graduated in 1974 with his Juris Doctor degree, ranked in the middle of his class. However, Thomas actually had significant problems getting a job. He believed that law firms did not take his law degree seriously, just believing that he was a result of affirmative action. In fact, in his 2007 memoir, Thomas wrote, I peeled a 15-cent sticker off a package of cigars and stuck it on the frame of my law degree to remind myself of the mistake I had made by going to Yale. I never did change my mind about that degree's value. Wow. In 1975, when Thomas read economist Thomas Sowell's Race and Economics, he found an intellectual foundation for his future philosophy. And in that book, Thomas Sowell actually criticizes social reform by government and argues for individual action to overcome circumstances and adversity. Now, I'm going to stop for a second there. That is a key component of this idea of systemic racism. Individual responsibility versus actual systems. And if you remember, we've talked about this in the past, you can't tear down an individual, but you can tear down systems. That's why racism and problems with racism can't be the responsibility of an individual or an individual's bad behavior. It has to be the responsibility of a system. But I digress. He was also influenced by Ayn Rand's works, particularly The Fountainhead. I uh, even required his staffers to watch a 1949 film version of the novel. So ultimately, when he did finally get a job after graduating Yale, he went to work for Missouri Republican Attorney General John Danforth, where Danforth promised him, he said, Thomas, I guarantee you, you won't find another job with more work for less pay. He said that he considers that job the best one he ever had. And when Danforth was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1976, Thomas actually left to become an attorney with the Monsanto Chemical Company in St. Louis. But he determined that job was... I would say an emotional dead end for him, that it would just absolutely destroy his drive and ambition if he stayed there too long. So Thomas ended up moving to Washington, D.C. and again worked for Danforth from 79 to 81 as a legislative assistant, handling energy issues for the Senate Commerce Committee. Thomas and Danforth had both studied to actually be ordained in the church, and although they were different denominations, Danforth championed Thomas to the Supreme Court. In fact, when you read the book and watch the movie, you realize how strong of a Christian Danforth is and how much influence he had in just lifting Thomas up in prayer when he went through some very, very difficult times. President Ronald Reagan nominated Thomas as Assistant Secretary of Education for the Office of Civil Rights in the U.S. Department of Education. He was confirmed by the Senate, and even a journalist one time opined that Thomas was openly ambitious for high office during his tenure at the EEOC. And as a chairman, he promoted a doctrine, again, just like Seoul, he promoted a doctrine of self-reliance and halted the usual EEOC approach 
of filing class action discrimination lawsuits. Instead, he pursued acts of individual discrimination. He also asserted in 1984 that black leaders were watching the destruction of our race as they just bitch, bitch, bitch about Reagan instead of working with Reagan administration to alleviate teenage pregnancy, unemployment, and illiteracy. Interesting, both Thomas Sowell and Clarence Thomas heavily relied on the idea of individual responsibility. Well, eventually Thomas was nominated as a federal judge without much rancor, but when he was nominated for the Supreme Court, all hell broke loose. Guess who led the Senate Judiciary Committee opposing his nomination? Yep, you guessed it. None other than our current president, Joe Biden. This included the Anita Hill accusations that came out of nowhere accusing Thomas of sexual harassment. This happened toward the end of the proceedings. When Thomas wouldn't play ball in sharing judicial philosophy around things like abortion, as he thought that was inappropriate. Well, after these accusations came out, um, Thomas addressed the committee. And as they opened that particular uh, session, Senator Biden asked him, do you have anything you'd like to say? And this is what Thomas said. He said, Senator, I would like to start by saying unequivocally, uncategorically, that I deny each and every single allegation against me today that suggested in any way that I had conversations of a sexual nature or about pornographic material with Anita Hill, or that I ever attempted to date her, that I ever had any personal sexual interest in her, or that I in any way ever harassed her. And second, and I think more important point, I think that today is a travesty. I think that it is disgusting. I think that this hearing should never occur in America. This is a case in which this sleaze, this dirt, was searched for by staffers of members of this committee and then leaked to the media, and this committee and this body validated it and displayed it at prime time over our entire nation. How would any member on this committee, any person in this room, or any person in this country like that sleaze said about him or her in this fashion, or this dirt dredged up and this gossip and these lies displayed in this manner? How would any person like that? The Supreme Court is not worth it. No job is worth it. I'm not here for that. I am here for my name, my family, my life, and my integrity. I think something is dreadfully wrong with this country when any person, any person in this free country would be subjected to this. This is not a closed room. There was an FBI investigation. This is not an opportunity to talk about difficult matters privately or in a closed environment. This is a circus. It is a national disgrace. And from my standpoint as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, to do for themselves, to have different ideas, and it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, this is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the U.S., the U.S. Senate, rather than hung from a tree. Wow. Well, these allegations were completely unfounded, but if you want to really understand what happened to Brett Kavanaugh not so long ago, then you need to go watch the Clarence Thomas hearings, and you will see it is absolutely identical. Unfounded accusations that in no circumstance, even a liberal court, would even come close to meeting a legal threshold. But it's used by the media to absolutely destroy a man's character. And why? Because of his beliefs and politics. That's why. But in both cases, the principled individuals of Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas fought and stood up for what is right. And I'm honored to even be speaking of them here today. Well, Clarence Thomas would be confirmed to the Supreme Court and the rest is history, so to speak. He was very closely tied to the late Justice Scalia, and Scalia once referred to him as a ruthless conservative. Thomas has written more opinions than any other Supreme Court justice well over 
700. And in this short clip, Thomas will talk about exactly what is right. You know, you can be in the middle of a hurricane, or you can be on a calm day, north is still north. You could be in a thunderstorm, north is still north. People can yell at you, north is still north. It doesn't change fundamental things. And in this business, right is still right, even if you stand by yourself. There are hundreds of other clips we could watch, but I want you to read the book and watch this movie. As a Christian conservative, I guarantee you, you will be inspired, just as inspired as I was. Folks, this is a bookend to our four-week run as we listen to great African-American conservatives. I hope you've enjoyed these individuals as we have tried to write an imbalance in the media that loves to prop up every single liberal they can find. These prominent black conservatives have already joined the fight for faith and freedom, and they have fought well. Until next time. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Grid, and special thanks to our sponsor, America First Insurance Group. Be sure to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated, your input is valued, and your voice is needed. I'm Chris Kuhlman, and I am a Kingdom Patriot. Music